My guests for episode eight are Tamar and Avi Dresner. They grew up in my hometown of Wayne, New Jersey, where their dad, Rabbi Israel Dresner, uh, was my rabbi and my teacher uh, in um, post-bar mitzvah uh, Hebrew school. Uh, Avi and my younger brother are lifelong friends. And Tamar, you're friends with Paulie too, right? Of course. Of course. So Tamar, my other big brother. Yeah, he's your other big brother. And Tamar and Avi are executive producing a documentary about their dad's civil rights work uh, with Martin Luther King, tentatively titled The Rabbi and the Reverend. Um, Tamar Dresner graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts with a BFA in screenwriting. Uh, She's written nine feature length screenplays. She is a breast cancer survivor. And, you know, I have a sister who's a breast cancer survivor too, right? I do. Yeah. And she lives in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania with her husband, Mark, and a family of squirrels. Have you you named them? Have you named them? There's about 40 of them. Oh, geez. Uh, Avi Dresner. Avi has his BA in government from Cornell University and his MA from creative in, in creative writing from the City College of New York. So uh, naturally, he works as a personal trainer. Oh, and by the way, I, I actually skipped something, so I missed it. That's my reading comprehension for you. And you have a BA, and this is back to tomorrow, you have a BA as uh, in screenwriting, BFA, but you work as a massage therapist. Naturally. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and Avi uh, works as a personal trainer. Um, he contributes regularly to a number of different publications as a freelance journalist. In one article on Jewish personal trainers with, uh, for the forward was entitled, Wrong Turn on the Way to Medical School. He lives in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts with his wife and two sons. Uh, and wh- what's your wife's name and your two sons' names? Uh, Natasha is my wife. My older son is Lev, who will be 11 shortly. Okay. And my younger son, Sasha, is nine. And I should note, in light of what's happening in the news, that my wife is from Kiev. Okay, your wife's from Kiev. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a little sidebar on that as well. Because uh, last week I did a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know if you guys listened, but I did a whole thing on, um, uh, on the situation with Putin, uh, Russia, and the Ukraine. So just jump in here. Um, how did your parents react after all that, that education, right? With all that education, you told them you were going to be a massage therapist tomorrow and you were going to be a personal trainer. I mean, that's a little bit not towards the intellectual and uh, more towards the physical. So maybe you want to talk about that. You want to go first off? Well, I mean, that was actually a question that one of my clients asked me once, and uh, he wanted to know how our parents reacted. I said, how did they react? They sat shiva. That's what any Jewish parent would do. Um, uh, but, uh, but you know, I, I think tomorrow and I, I won't speak for her, but I think we made a conscious choice to go in the opposite direction. Our parents were both incredibly intellectual people. Our dad was a rabbi, as you mentioned. Our mom is a retired PhD psychologist. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and so I think a shout out to Toby. Okay. Amen. Uh, so there, there was no way we could could compete with them intellectually. So I guess we just decided not to try and we went in the physical direction, but we are the most intellectual members of our respective professions. So I often tell people 
that I'm the only Ivy League personal trainer you will ever meet. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a moniker. For me, it was just a fallback career. I did spend a very long time trying to, to, be, a, to be a screenwriter. Uh -huh. um, unfortunately, I just didn't have the right kind of luck. And I guess I, speaking for my dad, he didn't really care what I did because I'm a girl and I was never going to amount to anything anyway. <laughs> really? That was your dad's perception? I think maybe the only thing I could have done to impress my father would have become a rabbi. Um, which, wasn't, which obviously wasn't in the cards. Which was 100% not in the cards for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I could not run far and fast enough away from Judaism. Um, okay. Because of my childhood, my Toby, our mother, is a hundred percent supportive of both of our careers. She's supportive of anything we do. So well, that's a, that's a good mom. To our mother, we're extremely su successful. You know, I, I think that I'm going to jump ahead. This was a question I was going to ask you later, but. You're, you, I'm not sure if you will remember this, you know, your father's positions on the Vietnam War and a whole bunch of other issues over the course of his tenure as a rabbi were uh, very polarizing within this, you know, Beth Tikva congregation. They were. And so as a kid, what do you remember? And as an adult, you know, because you just mentioned that this is the reason why I'm bringing this up, is that you... Uh, you wanted to run away as far as you could. So maybe tomorrow, why don't you take that first rather than Avi? Um, I, I, I knew my dad was polarizing, um, you know, obviously because I lived with him. But insofar as his, his politics, his interests, his sermons, I think that's where I cultivated my ability to be a storyteller. And uh -huh. I just sort of went inside my own head and went off into a different world. So he would be droning on from the pulpit about Martin Luther King, about Palestinians and Israelis, about whatever. And I was in my head creating stories because I could not have been any less interested. It sounded like the teacher in Peanuts to me. Mama, 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 mama. So, I mean, there's a, it seems like a level of bitterness, you know, uh, when you think back on it. I, I, I've been thinking about this, you know, if you have a great parent, like I'm a huge U2 fan, so I'm yeah. always speaking in Bono analogies. Okay. You know, Bono is an amazing man. Bono is in the greatest band of all time, U2. Bono has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Bono's music is amazing. If you're one of Bono's four children, when you were, you know, when they were six, was Bono around? to, you know, dress up with them and play ball with them and take them to the father, you know, father-son picnic? Probably not, you know. So not that Abba, not that my dad was Bono, was on that level, but I didn't care about his civil rights work. I didn't care about his politics. I didn't care that he was controversial. I just wanted a dad, and he he sort he sort of lacked that. He just, he really wasn't interested in that aspect of his life. He kind of had to check the boxes of having a wife and two kids and a dog, because he was a reform rabbi in New Jersey in the seventies and eighties. He he probably should not have had kids. 
That, I mean, that's just my two cents. I just wanted a dad. I didn't want a civil rights hero. I didn't start to appreciate my dad's civil rights work, literally, I think, until I was 40 years old. Avi, you have similar feelings? Uh, no, I think uh, I'm not diametrically opposed to Tamar, but I think we had a, you know, a different experience. I was much more aware of of his politics uh, growing up and obviously how but, controversial. And I'm going to interrupt. And, and I know people are saying, let him talk. But uh, but did you feel that your your father's public persona prevented him from being the kind of dad that, you know, not that, you know, I'm not going to use my dad as an example, but, you know, some other dad in, in, that, that you knew of your friends. Yeah, I mean, I will agree with Tamar on, on a certain level. And I do think that I think it takes a certain type of person to begin with um, to do the types of things that he did. So I don't know that it was the doing of the things themselves. I mean, obviously time is a finite resource. And so time spent doing one thing, uh, you know, is not time spent doing another. That's a given. Our dad's civil rights activism in terms of, you know, of, of his work with King and all of that happened before we were born. Well, you know, I mean, King died, King was killed in 1968. I was born in 1969. Tamar was born in 1971. So dad had essentially retired from the civil rights movement, such as, you know, you know, such as it is um, before we were born, um, which is not to say that he didn't find all sorts of other causes. You mentioned Vietnam. Vietnam was was the was the cause that he was very focused on when I was a teenager. Sure. Um, and you were much more aware of it as a teenager because you were potentially facing going there. So. You know, I mean, that would have been first of mine. So, um, but, but yeah, that was, look, we got a bullet uh, through the back window of our car when we first moved to Wayne when I was an infant um, uh, over his outspokenness against the Vietnam War. I mean, I, I remember, I mean, our parents both uh, marched with me in a stroller in protests against, you know, against Vietnam. Yeah. Um, so uh, now you could have been against Vietnam and a good dad. I don't think those things are, are you know, mutually exclusive. I think that uh, it is very difficult to be a great public person and a good private one. Um, I think that the analogy that I, I always use is a trip that my dad and I took to Mount Rushmore uh, when I was living out in Boulder, Colorado in the, uh, in the early 1990s. Um, and when you see Mount Rushmore and you see all the presidents from afar, everything looks perfect and smooth. And then the closer you get to it, you see the pockmarks and the flaws in the stone. And I think that's true of life with a great person. Well, um, then you all, and then you also find out that Borgham was probably a Ku Kluxer. Did you know okay. that? I did not know that, but yeah, he was he was a little on the as I understand it. I could be wrong, and someone can write in and, and correct me. But he 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 was not uh, a friend of uh, America's minorities. Well, and all that land was confiscated from Native Americans. So let's you know let's discuss that if you want. But uh, sure, I did already. You guys uh, don't listen to my podcast. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I'm very hurt by this because that was one of my topics. 
I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member, Harlan. Okay, so then, then I'm I'm going home with my wall. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you know, I mean, I think in that regard, um, you know, our dad was interested really in two things when it came to us. He was interested in Judaism, and he was interested in academics, and uh, and those were the those were the two big things. I mean, for what it's worth, I think. He was probably on the autism spectrum, and I think he he had difficulty with close human relationships of any kind. It was very easy for him to be up on the bima uh, and the leader, but I think it was difficult for him to relate to people, um, you know, more personally, not in the authority role. I'm sure his friends would take issue with that. Um, but but that's my that's my take on it. I don't think his you know I actually don't think his friends would fall into that category, the same category as us, because his friends are really just you know were disciples. It wasn't about interpersonal relationships. You know, but I, I, I got to tell you a story. Sorry. I'll tell you a story about me and your dad, and this only occur, occurred a few years ago. You know, Avi, and you put me on to this through Paul, is that when he went to speak at the National Archives for that lecture series on the Freedom Riders, and the, and the panel event was, uh, I think, called Shared Legacies. And it, he was on a panel with other civil rights legends. And, um, and this was at, uh, there's an auditorium in the National Archives, the same uh, building that has the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, you know, right there on Constitution Avenue. He was given X amount of time and he went like way over. Like he, each, of the, each of the panel, what, uh, I'm, frankly, I'm shocked. Round up the usual sus suspects. Right. But, you know, he, um, but he had a way that happened because a, a lot of things that you say, I experienced and I know as a kid, Right. Um, so I, 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 I have a deep sympathy for what you've both expressed here. But on the other hand, when he was on that panel and he was taking his long way to get to this spot about when he met King for the first time in the Birmingham jail, he started to sing and it wasn't one of his strong suits. And he started to sing Oh Freedom, which I was unfamiliar with. I might have heard it, you know, in the course of a documentary or something like that, but I didn't know it. But the people in that room know it. So when he stood, because he was starting to lose him a little bit, and maybe 300 people or so, not even. And he started singing this civil rights song, Oh Freedom. And at first, it was incredibly quiet. And he was the only one singing, and probably not even correctly. But then they all started, meaning all the people that were part of that movement started singing with him. And it was, a, and it, it was this deeply moving emotional moment. And I was just like blown away by it. And I think I, I, at the time I was on Facebook and I even wrote about it. You might've seen it, Avi, I, was, I think you might've. But that, that was a dichotomy of the guy, right? And so... On one hand, you have this as a father, and then you have this other thing as 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 a leader of a or or, or a participant. 
because I don't necessarily see him as as a leader. I see him as an active participant. But that 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 was really challenging. And maybe you guys want to comment on, on what I just that story that I I just told. To me, the you know the oh freedom um, we shall overcome singing was just part of his civil rights story that he hadn't been telling for years uh-huh. and years and years. I mean, he, he's been, he'd been talking about civil rights for, you know, until he died from 1961 to 2013. Avi and I have heard Oh Freedom a thousand times in our lives. Okay. Um, only now does it make me cry. Um, back then when he was alive and he would sing it, I would just internally go inside and cringe. I understand that as a rabbi, he was able to elicit emotion in people and even counsel people who were going through grief and divorce and trauma. But again, in that autistic way, the, even the O Freedom was part of the story. He couldn't leave that out. So every time you ever heard him tell his civil rights story, there were components that were always in there. So if you'd been to 500 National Archive lectures with my dad, you would have heard the same song 500 times. You only heard it once because, you know, you went once. So he, he always, he sang Oh Freedom for 50 years, for 60 okay. years. Yeah. Go ahead. It was part of the stump speech. I think is another way of saying what what Tamar is trying to say. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Tamar and I can tell his stories as well as we can. And frankly, uh, we can tell them better than he can because we don't go off on all of the tangents that he used to go on. So, you know, with him, it was all trees and no forest and everything was of equal importance and interest to him. So he would be telling a story about how his car was being chased by a bunch of racists in Georgia in 1962, and he saw the shotgun come out the window. And the next thing he, you know, he'd be talking about how many electoral votes Georgia had in 1962. And those two things were equally as important and equally as dramatic to him. He didn't really have a sense of storytelling or, or editing in, you know, in, in that sense. Everything to him that he was interested in, he assumed everyone would be interested in. Which they when, were not. Which they were not. And you experienced that in the crowd. You said that he was losing them a little bit. And yeah, so, he was losing them a little bit. And that was true of, you know, throughout his career and the older he got, I think the more discursive he got in his style and the, the longer it took him to pick the thread back up again and to get back to the point that he was making. And what he never understood was that that diminished the point that he was making that diminished the power of the story when you took those tangents. And so tomorrow and I, in trying to make the documentary and in telling his story, we're basically trying to string together all of these greatest hits without all of the ancillary, uh, you know, well, why don't you talk about the documentary? I mean, you know, where are you guys at with it? You know, how are you doing it? Uh, what's your roles uh, in uh, 
the the you know the production of uh, the rabbi and the rev or the rev the rev and the rabbi. Yeah, the rabbi and the rev. I mean, I'll start first because it'll be the shortest. And so far as what are what are our roles in yeah. the film, we're both we're both producers. I'm gonna say I'm an associate producer instead of an executive producer. Avi and Evan uh, are are the real filmmakers here. My role for the last three years off, is that, is that saying too long? Yeah, even longer probably actually. Five years. My, my role in the Rabbi and the Reverend for the last five years has been to, had been to keep Abba alive, to keep our dad healthy and well and see to his daily needs. Um, first in the house in Wayne, then in the, the assisted living at Sunrise, and finally the assisted living at Brightview, Ball and Wayne. So he was part of my daily life for the last five years. I've been taking him to doctors. I've been taking him to movies. We would go out to the diner every week. He was, I, I was in charge of, you know, just the way a mother would take care of a child and take him to the dentist and the eye doctor and the pediatrician. It was the same role for me with with my father. Now, did you get a chance to do it? Did you get a chance to to reconcile some of those feelings that you had with him during this time? As you know, as absolutely, we we reconciled way before this last five years. I would say by the time I was thirty, I was done with the angry young woman, and we were we'd been able to heal fissures you know, between 30 and 40, I would say. So the last five years, we, we were close. I mean, th things were good. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it was wonderful, always driving from Pennsylvania to Wayne, you know, 150 mile round trip every week for five years to a doctor. But that, that was my role. My role was keeping him safe, healthy, alive, and somewhat entertained. entertained and that's you know and right now having lost him six weeks ago i am struggling with the rabbi and the reverend to find my place as a producer in it because i i have not been involved in the nuts and bolts in the i haven't been involved in the the meetings i haven't been involved in the interviews i haven't been involved in the shooting so it's very well, let's, talk, let's talk to the executive producer and find out how you're going to get back into this thing. What are you going to do, Avi? No, there's no way in hell she's getting involved in this. <laughs> I think I think her performance thus far has has shown why uh, she should not be more involved than she is. Um, no, I'm mean, all look, kidding we're, aside. We're, we're we're trying to you know, we're trying to find a role. Um, and and tomorrow's not being completely fair. I mean, she's been working on some of the interview transcripts, uh, trying to highlight some of the moments that we think are going to work, both for the sizzle reel, for the sort of promo for the film, as well as for the film itself. So she is doing some work on the transcripts, and she has been involved in uh, in some of the recent meetings, and that will only increase. You know, I mean, the truth is, as she highlighted earlier, I I was always more aware of the history, both dad's history in the movement and the history of the movement itself. 
So I'm more well-versed in the chronology and in his involvement in the civil rights movement. I've been doing all of the interviews, for example. Our director, Evan Heyman, um, did a couple of the interviews, but for the most part, I've done every single interview that we've had. And, they, um, and, and who, 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 uh, who did you guys interview? Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that you wouldn't know, rabbis who were involved uh, in the movement who went to jail with dad, uh, some civil rights historians that people might not necessarily know. But the biggest names thus far uh, have been Andrew Young, Ambassador Andrew Young, who was Dr. King's right hand man. I mean, you can't get any closer to speaking to King himself than speaking to Andy Young. And I spoke, I interviewed him in Atlanta back in. Um, June of uh, 2021, and uh, and I interviewed Senator Cory Booker back in, at the end of April of 2021 in D.C. Um, so those would be the uh, probably the names, the big names that most people would be familiar with. I'm going to have to go back to D.C. to interview Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida. She was one of the co-founders of the Black Jewish Relations Caucus in Congress, along with John Lewis and others. So she'll be another person that many people may have heard of. And we're trying to land some really big fish. We're trying to get Senators Ossoff and Warnock. We're trying to get Stacey Abrams. And the reason for that is, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do, not that those people knew our dad, um, because they didn't. Senator Booker did a little bit, but uh, Ossoff, Warnock, and Abrams didn't. The reason that we're, you know, we want them involved is one of the, the agendas that we have for the film is to try and reforge the Black Jewish Alliance and also to really help further the civil rights work that our dad dedicated his life to. I mean, we're living through this moment now in our history that's probably the most turbulent in terms of race relations and civil rights since the, you know, since the 60s. And so it's important for us to have contemporary voices in the film who can talk about the legacy that they inherited from our dad and those like him and, and how to carry it forward. And hopefully tomorrow's gonna to be involved in every aspect of that. We're also in the film, Harlan. We're both interviewed in the film okay. for, for comic relief. For comic relief? Not only, but some comic relief. And obviously, you have your dad on film too, right? We have a lot. You know, we probably have four and a half hours uh, of interviews with him. We are in contact with Ralph Aber, one of our, Ralph Abernathy's kids. Dr. King's vice president at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was Ralph Abernathy. His daughter Donzale uh, Abernathy is on the West Coast. She's going to be interviewed for the film, and she's been. Terrific, and and we hope to get her even more involved uh, as as the process goes on. So the intention is not just to highlight your your dad, but to reforge that that shared legacy of of action. Yeah, I mean, the in the literature for the film promoting the film, you know, we talk about how this is not a monument to one man. This is a mile marker on the never ending march towards equality and justice for all. And it's not just a soundbite. I mean, we really mean that. So, you know, we, the, the, the film is essentially a, a challah, yeah. right? The, uh, you know, it's got three braids. The first braid is the great man biopic. The second braid is that it's a very personal uh, project for me and Tamar. 
And it's anybody could tell his story, but when it's his children telling the story, that's going to add a whole different flavor to it and a whole different perspective. So those are the first two braids. And the third braid is the social justice piece. And so we're trying to weave all three of those braids and bake them into the final film. So where can people go for more information? I think you guys have a GoFundMe page, right? Yeah. Um, if you type in, if you go to GoFundMe and type in Dresner, uh, you'll, you'll get the GoFundMe, uh, you know, you'll get information about the film and uh, obviously the ability to donate if you want uh, at that page. Um, and there have been, you know, if, if you Google Rabbi Israel Dresner, um, you will find more information than you could have ever. <laughs> so so people, if people are interested in, in helping finance it, that's where they can go do it. They can go to the GoFundMe page. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about other financing for, for you both? I mean, are you, are you seeking uh, more traditional avenues of, of financing for the film? For yeah, a document, I mean, the, the traditional documentary financing. Where, where, we're, where we're really looking is in sort of the, the impact documentary space, documentaries that are specifically geared towards a social justice theme. Also, you know, Jewish documentaries. So, um, so there are various grants that are available and we're gonna be applying for, uh, you know, as, as much as we can get and also trying to partner with others in this space who are, producers who specialize in impact documentaries, social justice documentaries. Uh, and, and we've had a ton of meetings and we'll continue to have meetings uh, with people that we hope to partner with, uh, both in terms of financing, but also in terms of organizations that we hope to have outside in the lobby so that when people come out of a screening, they're going to have they'll be able to hook up immediately with a volunteer opportunity yeah. with various social justice organizations. So um, now your mom was, your mom was, uh, you know, uh, a participant in this um, though your mom and dad divorced. Is she uh, involved at all or any way in what you guys are doing? Well, they've been, they've been divorced for, for more than 30 years. So, I mean, we approached her about yeah. being interviewed for the film and, you know, basically what she told me was, if you put me on camera, I'm going to say, I hate him. And that was going to be the whole interview. So okay. we, didn't think that add, we didn't think that would add that much to the documentary. Yeah. Um, she, she's been very helpful. Um, she's been very supportive to me. Um, when, when he was dying, she was great. She has not been his number one fan these past 30 years. Yeah. There, um, there was no real love lost or relationship there. Look, one of the things that I found in, in doing interviews for the documentary, I've interviewed a number of people who were active in the civil rights movement in the 60s. And the one commonality I found with everybody is that nobody is still married to the person that they were married to then. And yeah. not, because they, not because they died, the spouse died. Uh, so I, I think it speaks to the point that we made earlier, uh, that there is a personal toll uh, for public greatness. Uh, and as I said, public people who are publicly great are often not, you know, privately good or, or just not cut out for, you know, for family life. It's not like anything salacious. 
It's just that I think it's, there's, in a way, it's easier to help the faceless masses and to have a relationship, quote unquote, with the faceless masses that you're trying to help than it is with the people who are closest to you. And there's a so, toll. So there. then other than what we we're just talking about, how is she doing? I mean. She's great. I, I was just with her for an hour. She gave yeah. me a private one hour yoga lesson. Okay. She became a certified yoga instructor at 69. Really? She teaches yoga twice a week. She's 81 years old. Oh my God. She swims every day. She's a potter. Uh -huh. um, she's into environmentalism and she repurposes. She was, didn't you no, have her? She, didn't you take a class with her at William Patterson? I, you know, I was trying to think, I think I might have, I but think you it, it was obvious it was the seventies. <laughs> I won't ask her. I know. <laughs> so it's, there's some, there's some hazy edges to my memory of that, of that time. You were doing uh, but I used to see her. On, I know I did see her on campus. That I could tell you. But she was uh, she was always nice to me, and I always like people who are nice to me. You know, you know what I mean. Because uh, I, I was a different kind of cat. So Toby loves Polly. Yeah, I can imagine he's a very lovable person. Of course, you can't love everybody, but he's one that we can. So, you know, what's next for you tomorrow, and what's next for you? Uh, we're, you know, other than what's, what's your next thing? So I'm, you know, I'm still in sort of this grieving place since yeah. I died January 13th. It's March 2nd. Um, I need to sort of figure out what is the next chapter of my life that doesn't involve being his caregiver. Um, I certainly hope it's not becoming my mother's caregiver anytime soon. Hope so, not. Uh, I would like a break. I would like a nice uh, 14 years. So that means my mom has to get to 95 where she doesn't need any help. So, you know, I've kind of put put my gun, a gun to her head to say, if you get sick, I'll effing kill you. <laughs> um, so right, right now I'm just trying to take some time to figure out what I want to do. Yeah. My identity has, um, my identity has really taken a blow since his death because who am i if i'm not taking care of my father you're you i don't even know who that is write something you're a writer you know we all find our purpose you will trust me you will thank you and how about you uh what's next for you i mean i i think i made peace a long time ago with the fact that I'm going to be telling our dad's stories for the rest of my life in one form or another. And so, you know, the documentary is the first piece of that puzzle. But tomorrow and I also had a meeting uh, last weekend with a Hollywood screenwriter. And, you know, that's, uh, that's going to be the next thing. The documentary will lead God willing to doing a, uh, a biopic, a feature that will be historically accurate. And then hopefully that's going to lead to a really fictional based on the life of Netflix type series. And so I think that should take us to retirement. <laughs> okay. So, so let, let's play casting directors. And, and now tomorrow you have a background in screenwriting and, and you guys are, are, are film producers now. So of, of today's actors, who, who would you, who would you cast uh, in your father's role? 
Okay, this well, I joked last weekend at our meeting that it was going to be Chris Hem Hemsworth as our father and Idris Elba as king. <laughs> okay. and they're, they're both two. Okay, so no and no. That no and no. But have you, have you thought of, of any casting of Abba? I, I haven't. I mean, you know, I haven't really thought about it. Um, you know, I, I, I suspect, you know... Uh, in terms of look, I can I can think of a few in terms of like like who, like uh, like Levy Junior, or I I don't know who that is. You mean from Schitt's Creek? Yeah, it's the it's the center of the person that if if I was a cast, the guy that um, he writes and acts with uh, Seth Rogen. He played he played um, Trotsky. Well, all right, let's have Sasha Baron Cohen play him. That could work too. But I just had a brilliant idea, Pete Davidson. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't want any of those young social network guys. Oh, Jay, uh, Jay, Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel. Yeah, yes. I know who you. That's mean. that's who I was thinking of. It's a similar, like you know, physical type that you're that you're talking about. No, but his center is got. He's got the center. Thing. he's from a tone standpoint of a human he might be the right guy trust he's me. pretty dorky so that that could work dorky <laughs> goes is part of this thing dorky right. is good so yeah jay baruchel duly noted duly noted this is a problem we should have harlan trust yeah. me no one's going to ask the screenwriters yeah. who they think should play the role <laughs> well maybe you want to approach him he's he's always uh making movies uh, you know, the first part of his name is Baruch, so that would yeah, work. It might work. <laughs> you never know. Tom Hanks' son, Colin Hanks. Well, from a from a from a uh, height standpoint, and he's the right age. Okay, in his thirties. So, yeah, I mean, when I when I when our dad got involved in the civil rights movement, he was uh, thirty-two in nineteen sixty-one. So, and he was a young thirty-two. I mean, he looked, you know, he looked younger. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground and I'm not going to kill you guys for more. Was that well, good for you, Harlan? Was that, you know, it, was, was it good, good for you? Yeah, it's absolutely. This, uh, listen, I was not expecting to go down these paths that we went down today, but I'm always the first one to say, yeah, I'll try that. I, it would have been I, very different it. without Tamar involved. But I, I think that your sister's voice is, it, 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 it is as important as yours. And not to have that perspective. I, I know that I, I had a contentious relationship with my father until, you know, and I don't know, Avi knew my father probably better than you tomorrow, but um, he was not always the easiest guy to get along with. But, you know, we, we found our rapprochement. We found that common, you know, once I became a dad, it, it was a better relationship when I got older. I understand where you were coming from because I had some serious issues with my dad. So I was very sympathetic to hearing that, 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 that perspective. And again, uh, it didn't discussion. help you to know that he killed Hitler when he wasn't the father that you, you wanted know, him. So. You know what? I was very angry with your father the day of my dad, my dad's funeral and the real, the re and I wasn't going to bring it up. I he mean, stole the line. I know you told he, me. He, I looked at him. I said, you took my line. <laughs> what are you? What are you doing? That's my. 
you took my story. Well, I mean, that was with an assist from me. So if you want to be angry at somebody, blame me, because I don't know that he would, it would have been on his radar. But he, that. no, but he, he had, he had heard it in my house. So, um, but, yeah, I hope I'm not coming across as, you know, the angry daughter who hated her father. No, and I, and I don't, I think that, I, I think that we reconciled that in the course of, uh, of the podcast. So is that your uh, better half and back of you? That is my other half. Other half. Okay. <laughs> Be that way tomorrow. Speaking of which, Tower, Nina, and the kids. What's, what's Everybody's happening? good. Yep. Everybody's good. I'm a granddad now. Really? Yeah. But basically you doing this podcast, I assume, is saving the marriage. I don't know after last week, but um, it, it gives me, I, I, you know, I've told, I, I, I've, told, I've told friends I don't like working with wood. I'm not, you know, in, I'm in retirement. I want I wanted something that I like doing, which is talking. I like talking to people. So um, I felt you know, a long you're not time. argumentative. You're, I you're, am, or I'm the most argumentative person you could ever possibly no, imagine. You know, no, I'm saying, and I was expecting you to be super argumentative, and you've been like very, very like. Well, uh, you know what? The uh, I was. I spent a career in sales. I always have to take that part of me and stick it someplace else for the time for whatever. And I, and I brought that sensibility here. I just, I, I don't necessarily want to argue, but I don't mind having arguments. Uh, I mean, I could just tell you today and I'll use this time right now. My wife was, my wife's Ukrainian uh, also. She, on her mother's side and her father's side. And so when I did my rant last week about how Russians hate Ukrainians, she said, that's not true. And you shouldn't have said that. And it's really not very good to say that because Russians don't hate Ukrainians and Ukrainians don't hate Russians. Maybe their governments be, may be at, at, at odds with one another. And, and in fact, you can what's, what's coming out now is one of the things that the reason why they just didn't roll over the Ukrainians so fast is that these soldiers probably have been holding back. And there's some evidence of sabotage by by. Um, by Russian uh, troops. So I, and then you look at the protests that are happening all over Russia. So uh, I, I have to make, uh, I have to requalify that and say, hey, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. But when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm saying, hey, I'm wrong. But when I'm right, and there's other things I said on that podcast that um, I'm totally committed and know that I'm, I'm correct. But I am an argumentative person. So I used to argue with your father when I was a kid. So yeah, I can imagine, but I think yours were probably a little more intense than mine. I want to thank you both for a really good podcast. As I tell some other people, podcast gold. Thank you, Tamar. Thank nice you, Avi. All right, guys. 